0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we will continue with our series of fixed income roundtable conversations with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Joining us from the team today, glad to welcome back Barry McAlinden, Frank Saleo, Kathleen McNamara, as well as Alina Gallant, Leading today's roundtable, glad to welcome back Leslie Falconio, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office.
1: Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for participating. You know, I have to say, we do these this podcast bi-monthly, and in all the years I've been in this business, the two months of volatility that we've seen really has been quite remarkable. And, and I just want to give just a quick recap, not only to our outlook, but also what we've seen um, in October and November. You know, in October we reached a 501 ten-year yield, which is the cycle high. But a lot of this was driven by not just growth. Although we had third-quarter GDP growth over four and a half percent, that was actually kind of known early on, and the expectation was we would have strong third-quarter growth. But a lot of this sort of um, move up in interest rates and actually a pretty much underperformance of fixed-income risk assets in October was due to these other variables that i call sort of like these passengers and and what i mean by that if everyone remembers there was a big hoopla about the supply and the us deficit in october that pushed you know interest rates to that 501 level and that the fact that the yield curve was led by the back end rising and there was also quantitative tightening there was concern over the fed and so we had all these sort of um you know what i call performance drivers that we're really pushing yields up in, in October and also push the performance of fixed income across the board down. And as we sort of skipped to November, you know, and by the way, just as a, as a quick, uh, you know, addendum, we have always held the notion that supply, quantitative tightening, obviously impact fixed income, but they're not the main drivers. The main drivers going to impact yields are going to be growth, inflation, and what I'm going to get to in a moment, what the market is pricing in the future expectation of the Fed. And as I want to go to that, I want to go to about to November performance, because this is where really we saw the, an incredible shift in terms of sentiment. One of the reasons why we went up so much in yields in October was the fact that the market sort of finally came to this higher for longer strategy. They took out a lot of the interest rate cuts that were priced in from July in, in 2024, and they removed that. And as a result, you had the short end move up and 10-year yields move higher. Now, we're seeing this slower growth, a little bit loosening in, you know, non-farm payroll, loosening in the jobs data, inflation's coming down as we have things like the oil price go below 70. People are starting to price in now um about 135 basis points of easing. So this move in November pushed interest rates lower. It collapsed volatility, and therefore, and therefore risk assets really had the benefit of price appreciation due to declining interest rates, spread compression due to the Fed maybe going into and easing a little quicker than what the market anticipated. So the spread compression, price appreciation really put risk assets within fixed income in November um, really to the forefront. And we're going to get into each of these speakers. are going to get into specifics. But just in terms of our overall allocation, we have had a high-quality bias. We've had a quality source of investor grade corporates and munis, Tips. You know, we've also had some uh, credit um, exposure as well. Some of that was being long high yield versus senior loans that we put on last month. We've closed that allocation given how well high yield did in November. We put on a preferreds versus treasuries at the end of May, which is our way of expressing being long credit, wanting that credit exposure given the fact that preferreds had, you know, underperformed after the initial SVB's financial instability. After the November performance, we actually took that off. So now we're a little bit more neutral on the credit front. So now we're really honing into our longer-term outlook, which is about interest rates going down in 2024 to around that three-and-a-half level, also to have higher quality start to outperform. So when we think about – I just mentioned preferreds, and now that we know – and preferreds had one of the best performances in November, which brings me to you, Frank. You know, how do you sort of – what is your opinion on what's happened this quarter, and how do you see it for the rest of the year?
2: Oh, thanks a lot, Leslie. That was a great setup. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think for preferred investors, the headline is November to the rescue. You know, And that's because uh, until November, preferred had actually suffered three consecutive months of losses. There were uh, losses in uh, August, September, and October. Up until that point, the sector had been experiencing sort of this zigzag uh, sawtooth pattern of alternating monthly gains and losses this year. And at mid-year, right into September, frankly, we were holding on to gains of about 3% or so uh, for the year, 3% year-to-date gains for the year straight through into September. So really nothing to write home about. But in October, those year-to-date gains were wiped out after the relentless surge in interest rates that had taken place. Beginning in August, but straight through October, with the 10-year Treasury yielding, uh, with the 10-year Treasury yield touching that 501 uh, mark as as you mentioned, but since mid-October, with the 10-year Treasury yield dropping back down towards the 410 to 420 range, you know, preferreds have rallied on the back of that move. So as it stands now, year-to-date, preferreds are up by about six and a half percent. That's uh, 6% for the $1,000 pars, 7% for the $25 pars, so decent year-to-date returns at this point. But again, most of that return has come from performance over just the past few weeks, all driven by that recent rate rally that we saw uh, over the past few weeks. In fact, if we look back at the past seven weeks or so, just in the past seven weeks or so, preferred they're up by about 8%, an 8% return in just seven weeks. Uh, that's 6% for the $1,000 pars, 10.5% for the $25 pars. Now, we do think there is a a bit of a too far, too fast type of dynamic on the rate backdrop front, as you mentioned. So moving to neutral from a tactical standpoint makes a lot of sense. But for long-term investors, there there are a number of factors that would support solid 12-month returns from here. And first and foremost is the rate backdrop. Now, as you mentioned, of course, you know, even though we have a bias towards lower rates, that's our expectation, rates aren't going to move in a straight line down from here. But overall, we think the Fed is done. The Fed's July rate increase was likely its last, and it's our expectation here at CIO to see an extended pause from here with scope for rate cuts in the middle of next year, mid-2024. And along with a continued slowdown in economic activity, that would support lower Treasury rates next year. So I think we're looking for a positive rate backdrop overall in 2024. And then we could add to that current preferred valuations with yields higher than historical average on an absolute basis. Yields have come down over the past few weeks with Treasury rates uh, but you could still find yields of about six to six and a half percent in the twenty-five dollar par space, higher in the thousand dollar par variable rate preferred, um, and and so those are pretty good yields on an absolute basis. On a relative basis, yield spreads are a bit lower than historical averages. They're at the tighter end of the historical range, but they've been mostly in line or tighter uh, than average all year, with the exception of the risk-off periods of March and late May, when when you had put on that you know that tactical. Uh, 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 overweight uh, to preferreds. But another consideration for investors out there is that most preferreds trade at a, a discount to par. So there is price appreciation potential for long-term investors. And that's not usually the case for preferreds. And frankly, for, for most fixed income sectors, capital appreciation tends to be limited. So overall, the combination of current valuations against the backdrop of lower trending interest rates through 2024 could lead to impressive uh, performance long-term. And just last point, from a positioning standpoint, Leslie, variable rate preferreds with laddered call dates, including discounted fixed rate resets with call dates over the next 12 to 24 months, those could offer some good value while also mitigating interest rate risk. And we continue to see good value and favor select preferreds from the largest money center banks and super regionals that provide attractive valuation. You know, our monthly update to the preferred securities top picks report provide specific recommendations, Leslie. I'll turn it back to you,
1: yep, thanks Frank. I appreciate that that was a good, that was a great recap. I just sort of to, to emphasize what Frank had mentioned that you know our allocation is now just neutral preferred it's, it's not negative by any stretch and as as Frank gave some great reasons why you know preferred securities could still be a great returning asset in twenty twenty four and as we shift from preferreds into our other credit segment, which is high yield. I mean, you know, Alina, you know, you've been, um, actually your calls on high yield have been quite well good this year as well. And we know that we've had some good spread compression after a bit of volatility. So what's your, what's your thought about high yield here and for the rest of the year?
3: Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me.
1: So you were absolutely
3: right. November was a great month for high yield. Um, high yield returned 4.6% in November, but the year to date, return is what's really quite impressive. 10.1%. So above 10% now for the high yield market year to date. Um, Spreads are tighter. So we saw a compression of 70 basis points in November and yields are now 8.3%. This is actually back to July lows. So we are now below where we were in August in terms of That's prior to the fall sell off, so I just think that that is an interesting dynamic that we have, right? We have tighter spreads, we have yields that are now fallen to essentially the lows of the year. So with this move um, We think that a lot of high yield, particularly double b names, now trade tight to triple B's, and we recommend moving up in quality when we look at the double B index. Uh, it tightened by 63 basis points over the last month. This is quite a big difference from the triple B index that only tightened by 22 basis points. So what we have is a lot of high yield names that we keep an eye on. They tend to be higher quality, high yield names. But they now trade with a spread of, I'm going to ballpark around 160 to 180 basis points. And this is actually not too far from where you can buy... Higher-rated triple-B names. The triple-B index is now at 140 basis points, and a number of triple-Bs are trading in that 160 to 170 context. So we recommend that investors move up in quality, that they gain exposure to triple-Bs over double-Bs. Here, we think that uh, looking at recent rising stars is actually a good place to start. These are companies that, generally speaking, cleaned up their balance sheets over the last few years and are now stable from a business standpoint, and for this reason, were upgraded to investment grade from high yield by the rating agencies. Some of these names actually still trade a bit wide to the typical investment grade company. So, we think that this is a good place to start uh, looking for you know, maybe some additional spread in the investment grade market. Now within high yield, we continue to like short duration. This is a thesis that we've had on for a number of months now. We think that uh, a lot of 2025 and 2026 maturity bonds still offer attractive yields here and we are comfortable with that exposure. And one other thing that I'll mention is that with all of this said, fundamentally, high yield companies are holding up well. The new issue market is alive and well. November was one of the busiest months with 19 billion of new issues priced. So we think that higher quality names should be able to refinance their upcoming maturities. I know there's a lot of talk in the market about the maturity wall that's coming over the next few years. We think that higher quality names should not have an issue refinancing their maturities, and we actually do not see much of a deterioration in their credit metrics. So we think that there will be opportunities to invest in high yield in 2024. We just like waiting for a better entry point in terms of spreads. I'll turn it
1: back to you. Thank you. Thanks, Alina. I, I appreciate that. I just and that was, that was a great recap but just sort of to hone in on one of the points that you know Annette made is our our view on going up in quality, our view on higher quality as the business cycle starts to mature as we head into 2024 and likely slowing growth. And and when we think about that high-quality theme, it brings me over to Kathleen McNamara, who who is in charge of our municipals. And Kathleen, we know that this year has been a little bit difficult for some of the higher-quality assets, just given the volatility, but we saw November had some great performance, so I'll turn it over to you. Uh shortly, Um yeah, not um I mean I think I'm gonna repeat a little
4: bit of what Frank said in his uh opening comments is that, you know, following three consecutive months of negative returns, we saw a huge pivot to positive returns in November, you know, on the Muni side. So um if we if we look, um the uh returns were actually pretty spectacular. That monthly return was uh up by six point four percent. And if I look back, that was actually the highest monthly return performance on record, the Munis, at least going back to nineteen eighty-nine. As a point of reference, it did surpass the previous record high, which was set one year earlier when tax exempt bonds last November registered a return of 5.1%. We did see returns, you know, positive all across the yield curve last month, you know, not surprisingly with that powerful rally, the long end Performed the best, gaining an eye popping double digit return of 10% for the month. You know, by contrast, the short end did produce um, positive returns, but much softer in the 1.5% to 2.5% area. You know, certainly we attribute this powerful rally largely to that sharp move down in the US Treasury benchmark yields, as you had discussed, rather than any Muni specific market drivers that we usually watch. Like, for example, in November, Net issuance was positive, and muni mutual fund flows were actually slightly negative. And both of those points represent headwinds for the market. You know, but in this instance, that strong rally in Treasuries had the effect of overpowering any downward pressure that we would have seen coming from these other technical factors. You know, heading into the final weeks of 2023, um, in terms of valuations, you know, on a year-to-date basis, munis are up more than Treasuries. You know, therefore we have seen muni to treasury yield ratios fall pretty dramatically. And that has made the asset class more expensive on a relative basis. You know, certainly, um, from the cheaper levels we saw only a few months ago. You know, that being said, although if I look at, you know, the fact, you know, short-dated munis are now at very rich levels, by contrast, beyond that 10-year maturity point, munis still look very attractive and provide meaningful tax advantages for investors in top tax brackets. We did publish our year-ahead edition of the Municipal Market Guide, titled Opening the Door to 24, just last week, December 1st. And in that report, um, among other things, we included three principal messages for 2024. First, we do believe that munis will post positive annual return, boosted by our expectations that rates will trend lower by year-end 2024, as Leslie mentioned a little bit earlier, versus current levels. Second, we do think that investor demand will accelerate following this period of positive annual returns. Now, what we often see is that mutual fund flows generally follow the direction of returns. We already started to see outflows pivot to inflows just this week, and that trend is likely to continue into the early part of 2024, in our view. And third, on the credit side... You know, although we, we do expect rating upgrades to decline as an overall percentage of rating actions reflecting an economic slowdown, that said, we still expect the rating upgrades to outpace downgrades in 2024. In terms of individual credit sectors, we have a stable outlook for most municipal sectors, and that includes the popular areas of the market, such as airports, local governments, and water and sewer. By contrast, the two sectors that are an exception are private colleges and not-for-profit hospitals. You know, in those two sectors, we expect greater variability, and that's simply because the outlook in those sectors is highly dependent on the individual's borrower's reputation, liquidity, and market position. So against that backdrop, you know, we continue to favor an up-in-quality bias, and we prefer longer-dated
1: munis over shorter-dated munis for the year ahead. Thanks, Kathleen. I appreciate that. And, and, you know, one of the higher quality and, and biases that we've had, um, as it relates, as it relates to Muni is it's also its counter, which is investment grade, investment grade corporates, which we've had a most preferred on for quite some time. As, as And witness witnessed some healthy spread compression, but it's a sector that we, we still continue to have as our most preferred as we head into 2024 alongside Muni. So I'm going to shift it over to Barry now to talk a little bit about investment grade corporates.
0: Yeah, thanks, Leslie. So as a longer-duration asset class, investment-grade corporate returns in November uh, were very stellar, no exception there. Um, if you just consider, you know, at the end of October, investment-grade corporates had a year-to-date total return of negative 1.4%. That was October 31st. As of November 30th, the year-to-date total return was a positive 4.2%. So that 5.6% total return in November, again, was historic. Um We did did achieve a calendar month return of that back in December 2008. But before that period, you have to go back to the mid-1980s to find a return of that magnitude. And it was due to a combination of uh, the rally in Treasuries, but also spread tightening. So investment grade spread did move 21 basis points tighter in November. Uh, That was the sharpest move since November of 2022. And we saw investment grade bond yield for the index. Came down. It was above six percent uh, during uh, the month of October. We're now down to about five and a half percent, so below kind of that six percent uh, threshold, but still at five point five percent. So those have been the big changes: just the decline in yield, but also the compression of spread. The investment grade index that we look at from ICE A has a current spread of 112 basis points. Um, you know, so, so that's on the tighter end of you know where we kind of expect them to be trading let's say, over the next 6 to 12 months. Um, You know, just turning to, you know, what's not changed about investment-grade corporates and, you know, what still leads us to have that most preferred view uh, really does stem from the fact that, you know, yields are still attractive on that absolute basis, you know, 5.5%, you know, compares to the average yield of about 35 that existed, you know, for much of that uh, post-GFC, you know, period, um, you know, prior to 2020. So, clearly, you know, a higher rate regime we think that'll be a good cushion uh, to help absorb, you know, any credit spread widening you know, that takes place where Treasury yields would likely decline in such a scenario of, of market, you know, risk-off action to provide a bit of a buffer. Um, the other thing that hasn't changed, you know, spreads, yes, they, they are tighter than they, they had been, Um but, you know, we never thought they looked, you know, very attractive. We thought they were about average. You know, now they're, again, we think that, you know, they probably moved a little bit too far too fast. Um, but, uh, you know, going forward, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's more that absolute yield that's the main value proposition for IG Corporate. I
1: think in terms
0: of, you know, returns for the investment grade asset class looking ahead, I think it is important to separate out, you know, the concept of total return versus relative return. On a total return basis, we think uh, the outlook is, is very good. Um, just, you know, first from the, the coupon carry uh, and and some just natural roll down that occurs uh, through the investment grade market. You know, you can definitely achieve, uh, or likely achieve, uh, returns that are kind of in that mid-single digit, let's say five percent range, just from the carry and roll down. And then if we do have a decline in investment grade bond yields, which most likely would be driven by a decline in treasury yields, you know, not necessarily compression and spread, but should that occur, you know, you could have some price gains uh, that are added to that return potential. Like for example, if the IG index yield declined by twenty-five basis points that would be another 2% of price gain, you know, added to about that 5% income return. Um, and then if IG bond yields decline by 50 basis points uh, throughout the course of the year, that would be about a 4% price gain added to that 5% income return. Um, and So the potential for high single-digit, you know, even potentially low double-digit returns, we think, exists in the marketplace uh, next year. In terms of our preferences too, uh, which I'll touch upon, we usually uh, talk about this in terms of really three main categories in IG. One being, you know, our sector, industry sector preferences. Uh, second being credit ratings, triple Bs versus single As. And the third being where on the curve to be positioned. So, first, in terms of industry sectors, again, what, what hasn't changed is that we continue to see value in financials broadly over industrial. You know, their spreads uh, do trade at a wider gap than they. Uh, do so uh, historically. Now, we we don't necessarily see a clear catalyst that would drive financial spread, you know, tighter next year. Um, But we do think from a return perspective, you know, financials and and banks, we like uh, the uh, bonds issued by the U.S. Big Six Uh, banks, uh, you know, particularly look attractive to us, really do, again, to to their carry prospects and that extra spread that you're getting in that sector versus non-financial. When it comes to credit ratings, you know, Alina outlined the relative value of triple Bs versus double Bs. I would say, too, there is value in triple Bs versus single As uh, within, you know, making that comparison within IG bonds. Um, if, you, if you look at just like ratios of triple B bond spreads versus single A bond spreads, um, for financial uh, bond issuers, it's about the 50th percentile, so about average. But for industrial issuers, it's about the 78th percentile. So uh you know, we do see some uh you know relative value in that triple B, again uh compared to their, their single A counterparts. Um not to say we don't see opportunity in single A's as well. Uh, so so we're you know we would uh, focus on both pockets of the credit spectrum within investment grade. And then finally, as it relates to curve positioning, um, you know, as as Leslie has articulated throughout the year, you know, we've had um this barbell on for uh, for some time, you know, both the short end and IG. One to three years, as well as the long end, uh, seven to 10 year. And that's something that, uh, you know, we still see, um, you know, value maintaining that positioning where, you know, the short end will give you that, uh, low volatility, you know, carry return and the long end, uh, gives you the opportunity for price appreciation. And, you know, as I mentioned, it's really more that seven to 10 year sector that would really drive the price gains going forward. Uh, if we do see bond yield you know, decline next year as, as we expect. So um that's the summary and, and just kind of uh, summing up why we still view investment grade, you know as the most preferred asset class despite the, the movement that we saw take place in November uh and with that I could turn it back to you Leslie.
1: Thanks Bray. that was that was really that was a great that was a great recap and and I think that as we close out um here I will in January we'll have our uh Fixed income strategy ahead, but I think one of the common themes that we can get from everyone that has spoken today is that November was an incredible month. You know, we still have um, a very positive outlook on fixed income going forward, but we do expect some pockets of vulner- vulnerability. We prefer, you know, the high quality and most importantly, the selectivity within each sector is going to be very important. Whether it's you know Frank's Top Picks report or Best Ideas report that that the CIO publishes and Kathleen's Muni team, you know. Overall, we have, we're very positive on fixed income in 24 because yields, we expect to decline. You're getting really good carry, but it's not going to be a straight line. Unfortunately, volatility will be lower, but it's still going to exist. And that's why the selectivity is also going to be just as important as allocation. So thanks very much, and we will see you again in 2024.